You're listening to Fakeologist Audio Chat. To connect to our always-on and always-streaming audio chat, go to fakeologist.com forward slash audio chat. This is a new and exciting way to communicate with fellow fakeologists from all over the world. Each day we compress and post the day's audio into a file that can be big or small. Discover new voices and ideas that talk about media fakery like you never did before. Please search for Fakeologist Audio Chat and Fakeologist Main Show on your favorite podcast app. To listen to the live stream, go to fakeologist.com forward slash radio stream. Now, on with the audio chat. Web hosts are a hoax, is what you're saying to me. This is, this is music yep. to my ears. No. This, I love this shit. It's easy, it's a hoax. I thought this is where we were going with technology being part of the future crap. Dude, there are no such thing as web hosts. They're just the billing. They're just the entity that take on the billing and the and the logo that represents a brand. Underneath it all, Holy shit, man. This is 12 weeks off the piss, man. You've gone all zen. You, you're seeing things that people can't see. You've ascended to a new Don't even insult me that way. I this emergence of technology six years ago, and I tried to tell my bosses in radio, listen, all this IP technology, all the audio technology, it's all going to merge. It's all going to be part of the same shared infrastructure. Do you think anyone would listen? It doesn't work that way, Joel. Well, bro, I'm listening, I'm listening now, you know, bro. But here's, here's what I'm thinking. We, we can't, we can't be... Where it's going. Bro, bro, we, what we need to do is stop saying this shit publicly. We need to, we need to record this privately, monetize it, sell it. This is what we need to do. This is golden. This is good stuff. This... <laughs> Alternatively, we can jump into audio uh, audio chat live stream right now and broadcast it at fakeologist.com. If you want to bring streamerbot in and I'll read what I've already done, I'm happy to do it. Well, this isn't too this late. Isn't late I'm happy to make the call, so let him make the call. This is, this is good shit, man. I, I can talk about this. Steamer Bot is already here. The audio chat is going to you. Holy There's shit, is this going live? When did that happen? Napoleon. Just what a minute fuck? ago. You can't be fucking streaming shit without telling people. All right, then. All right, well, Velos, it looks like you're already live on the air, mate, so pick up where you left off. So you're telling me that um, the internet is a hoax, basically. So so I'm paying, like, $200 a year, right, to host my website at Bluehost or GoDaddy or one of these companies that everyone's heard of. And you're telling... And I, I believed, and now I can see that maybe this was foolish of me, I believed there was a server... So, like, a computer whose job is just to serve internet websites, basically, in, in a warehouse in the U.S. or in China or something, that, and, and on the hard drive, my website was there with a whole bunch of other websites. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not paying for a whole server, I'm just paying for shared hosting. But what yep. you're telling me is that I may have been uh, misunderstanding the situation, I may have been buying into a hoax. You're saying maybe that server doesn't actually exist. That's exactly what I'm saying. So what you've got to understand here is there's this concept in, in computer and IT, you've got what's called virtualization. Virtualization, right? So in a normal computer, you have the hard disk, which is responsible for storage. You have the RAM, which is responsible for memory. And you have the processor, which is responsible for actually computing the data. Now, a long time ago, at some point, and I would put it maybe five or six years ago, the internet went in that direction. So you have a lot of big server farms that have the actual processing power, the memory power, and the hard drive storage power. And they consolidate those resources into what are called virtual machines. 
Now, a virtual machine takes on the characteristics of a real computer, but it's completely virtualized. It sits atop shared storage, shared memory, and shared processing amongst any kinds of businesses that could wish to acquire these things. So what happens is when your website, so, so take Bluehost or GoDaddy or any of these kinds of things, they're just nothing more than brand name. They're just a logo, a brand name, and a marketing tool. The fact is, under yeah. the surface, you belong to server farm that serve up the hard drive space, the memory requirements, and the computing requirements that are required by your website. So there's no physical computer, right? Now, if we take that further, we all chat here on Discord. Now, a lot of people would have it in their mind because they've dealt with things like Skype or TeamSpeak or things like that in the past. They have it in their minds that when they hear people on Discord, that they're hearing some sort of stream. Like I send my audio to the stream and I hear audio back from the stream. And it doesn't work like that. The reality is everything on the internet is packets. Packets of data. Tiny little packets of bits of your voice. So when you talk, your voice is compressed into little packets, split up into tiny packets. And everything on the Discord is a virtual entity. Anyone who is in a specific stream, a chat room at that time, they have permission to see that data. So you might post into a Discord chat room and you've got the idea that this chat room is its own string of text, but it's actually not. Imagine it like everything that ever gets posted to Discord among any other chat room, every Discord server that's available on the internet, it's all part of one long string of text being posted. It's only that you, John LeBon, only have certain streams of text and have access to certain streams of text. You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Audio Chat on Fakeologist.com. All right, so 26 so September actually... 2018. We should just give a timestamp since this is being live streamed. And uh, again, I just want the record to show I don't like the idea of introducing a streamer bot without telling people for the record. But since we're streaming, this is a very interesting conversation because you've got me thinking. I hadn't actually stopped to think. Why do I believe that my website is hosted on a hard drive on a server in the US or in China? Why did I just believe that? That's what they told me. And I just believed it. But now you've got me seriously thinking, why the hell did I believe that? So, I, this is ve- this is a very interesting conversation so far, fellow step. So, uh, by all means, carry on. If you, okay, I'll finish up. So, with Discord, as I was saying, the idea that you to a specific chat and everything you see in that chat is part of the actual chat is not true. The fact is, everything everyone posts to that chat over time is all there. Everything that every everyone world ever post to discord is part of the same stream of activity so think of it like a timeline more than anything it's just that people like yourself have permissions to see certain things so because you're a member of the uh fakeologist entity known as a server you will see the channels that come up relative to that so when people think they're joining a server there's no specific server like i've heard ab reference in previous podcasts that Unborn Free, specifically, if you want to reference that podcast a few episodes ago, he said he has a server on Discord, so he he just renting a bit of their space, so to speak. And it doesn't work like that. The fact is, all he's done is created a logical identity for fakeologist.com. 
the physical server doesn't exist. He's just created an identity that we call a server that creates permission. So anyone, any user who is tied to their email address and their, their activity, who is a member of that site, will see that information. It's all permission. Okay, okay. Like but I don't mean to interrupt, but we should, we should distinguish between, so, so there's the Discord server, which I think, I think a lot of us do understand that that is a non-physical thing. So you've got a, a John LeBond Discord server or a Fakeologist Discord server. There's God knows how many of these Discord servers, but uh, that's like a conceptual, uh, it's just called a server, but it's not really a server. Whereas what I'm talking about is, so there's Fakeologist.com. In, in my mind, up until about 30 minutes ago, that is hosted, that is the ones and zeros that you're, suppose someone visits Fakeologist.com. If you suppose I visit Fakeologist.com, my computer is saying to the internet, uh, what is on Fakeologist today? I want to read the latest. And there is a computer somewhere that we call a server, a physical thing, that has that information that my computer gets from that server, like a physical thing. That was my understanding up until about 30 minutes ago. But now I'm starting to reconsider what I thought I knew. So leaving aside the Discord server element for a second, just focusing on websites. A website is hosted somewhere. So what I believed was it was a physical server somewhere in the US or China, are you saying to me, there's no one place where that's hosted? It's like, explain it to me like an idiot, because apparently that's pretty much what I am now that I think about it when it comes to the internet. Where the hell is fakeologist.com? In your opinion, where, where is that? Where, where's that coming from? Where is my computer? Reddit.com forward slash I am a idiot. The I, okay, so I use Discord as an analogy. When I say server, I'm highlighting the fact that the server is nothing more than a logical framework. In the same way, you need to think of serving services. People that host your website are no different. Bluehost, GoDaddy, any of these, they're renting mass storage, memory, and process facilities. So while you, your website, John LeBon, or Fakeologist's website may be uh, logically, the way you deal with it in the real world may be a, a physical hard drive. The fact is that hard drive doesn't actually exist. It's a virtual entity that may span multiple hard drives in multiple data centers. And to illustrate that point, how often have you heard of someone whose website has actually been taken down because a hard drive failed? The fact is if Fakeologist's hard drive failed in that server or your hard drive failed in that server, there would be no physical failure. It's only a logical failure. And it will fall over to the, uh, you know, mirrored data that is stored on a mirrored volume somewhere else in another data center. Sure, but this is just redundancy, right? So, so even if my understanding were correct and, and there was a physical hard drive that hosted fakeologist.com, you would, you know, they would still have uh, redundancy by having a separate hard drive that hosts the exact same files in case of emergency. So the fact that websites do not go down due to hard drive failure, that in and of itself isn't proof that the websites are not hosted on a physical hard drive, if you get what I'm trying to say. Uh, that's not to disagree with your overarching point, but just on the case, like, to use... Uh, like, do you get what I'm trying to say here? The fact that websites uh, don't go down... I, I do, but I you're, you're, you're I, hitting... I, I use, the point, I the use point is... Matter. They may have actual physical computers in Jacksonville, Florida. That, I believe. Lots of yeah, people but are what I'm saying is even their physical computers are not, they're not 
not to an actual oh, physical the computer. They're giving you access to storage that they present to you as a physical computer. The data spans multiple volumes. do go down, and the, their hard drives do crash. They don't. I know what you're saying Amazon is one of the biggest computer farms in the world, and lots of people use them. I think Talkshoe just switched over to Amazon posting, and they're massive. But my my site has been on the same place for over 10 years, and they're, they do move servers around. They have computers that crash all the time. So you're, you're mostly right in what you say, but I just want to caution you that we're not on all on one big computer in the sky. No, no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we're on one big computer in the sky. What I'm saying is yeah. that the data to us does, is not perceptually the way it is in reality. The fact is someone, okay, so I can't speak to your specific example. I don't know what host you're with. Yeah. But I'm saying with someone like John LeBon, as an example, say he was with Bluehost or GoDaddy or any of these, just because he sees uh, when he logs into his um, cPanel control center, cPanel is, is a common web service built on Unix. Yeah, so, so cPanel is used to distribute assets to allow people to run websites. It doesn't mean that there's any literal physical computer doing that. Below the surface, at the companies funding this and the companies giving it to these retailers, the fact is it's all shared storage. It's all shared assets. And, and and here's where it opens up the larger debate about being spied on. The fact is all this stuff is being controlled by the same people. The whole internet, the whole all the traffic, even if your so-called server is private, all your traffic still funnels in and out of the same equipment that anyone else's does. Yeah, there's lots of big switches, yeah. Lots of big switches and routing companies, yeah. But I don't think it's centralized. I think that was the whole purpose of the military creating the internet. It's decentralized. There are central nodes. There's nodes all over the place. You can't knock out the internet. You can't. That was all well, that's the logical framework you'd build for any, for any system you'd want to build that way. Like even with, within my home network, I have dual switches, specifically so no one thing can fail. Every computer I have has dual network interfaces to separate switches. So the only thing that can fail is the router itself that routes the traffic out via the internet. The actual network itself doesn't fail. So if one switch was to fail, everything falls over to the second network, if you get what I mean. Oh, that's cool. So you have two Ethernet cards in each computer? Yes. Oh, that doesn't cause any conflict? They don't get misrouted? No, because they're set up to route as the same IP address. The, the IP is the, I think, OSI three-layer model. So right, so IP is only, you've got the physical layer of the OSI model, and then you have the logical layer. So IP address is only the logical layer. You still have the MAC address as a fundamental physical layer. So two IP addresses can still have the same IP, uh, sorry, sorry, two MAC addresses can still have the same IP address. So okay. two network cards can share an IP address. So most of my equipment's configured so that even though the equipment itself has two physical addresses, in the logical world of IT, they actually share an address. So if one was to fail, the other continues. And that's my point with the, yeah. the larger data server idea. I'm not saying we're all in one computer, but I'm saying that this, this kind of data uh, sales in terms of selling people storage and processing as part of a larger fundamental theory. Yeah, okay. And, and just to add to your point, yeah, I actually have three network cards in each computer, but two of them are on one switch and the third is on the other switch. <laughs>
Oh, you really are into redundancy. I like throughput. Oh, that increases the, through, the throughput? Yep. Okay. By the way, happy uh, autumnal equinox, everybody. Autumnal equinox, September. So it's spring there. Okay, so going back to this question then. So someone uh, is on the computer and they go to fakeologist.com. Their computer is now sending ones and zeros to their ISP. And uh, the idea is that, and, and tell me tell me here where I'm wrong with my understanding here. So no, you're sending these ones and zeros to the, to the ISP, and then the expectation is that the ISP is then searching for that address, you know, one one six zero point four zero whatever. I'm just making one up. Like that's the whatever they call that thing. So we we type in fakeologist.com, but that that really just means a whole bunch of zeros dot zeros dot zeros dot zeros whatever. And then that go that that somehow that knows to go to some server somewhere, say Florida for fakeologist.com if that's where Abs servers are. And yeah. uh, and then on that, on that computer, the computer says, oh, you want to know about that website? Well, here's what's on the main page. So it sends back all those ones and zeros, which comes via that person's ISP, to their computer. And they say, oh, a new um, audio chat featuring Velocet, Ab, um, Napoleon Wilson. I want to listen to that. So they click the little post uh, heading, and they're basically saying, all right, now tell that same server to give me more information, right? And those ones and zeros are heading from computer to ISP to somehow to the server and back again. Is this, in your opinion, Velocet, how it works? Are you saying that that, that rudimentary understanding is, um, is nonsense? Because I'm happy. If, I, if my understanding of how this works is wrong, that, that actually makes me happy. I'm, I love finding out when I've been misled. So this is this is good. Just try and work me here. Like, is that not how you think the internet works? No, no. I think I think we might have got off on foot here with the way with the way you're interpreting this. In in logic, that is correct. When I search on my browser fakeologist.com, my computer sends a request to the logical uh, instance of a web service. So I first search fakeologist.com. It goes to a DNS server, which tells me, ah, oh, fakeologist.com is actually 123.43, whatever the IP address is of that physical server. So fakeologist.com is interpreting to, interpreting to computer numbers, more or less, but that logical address is only that of bluehost.com or godaddy.com, or some place that that exists. So we have the public DNS, which is fakeologist.com resolves to this physical address in numbers. But that physical address has to be registered with the company hosting that site. Now, that company may not actually present, be presenting you with physical servers. It could be completely virtualized in the sense that you still retrieve a web page but it doesn't mean you retrieve it from an actual physical computer. You're just retrieving it from any computer in the ring of redundancy that could pick up that request. So the data is everywhere at once. It could be on many different places across the architecture that underlies that company's uh, purchase, right? When I send that request, the web, most, most likely these days things are coded with PHP, which means I don't get a common request the same as everyone else. It actually, when, when my request occurs, 
It actually looks at what device I'm on, like a web browser on Google or whether I'm on an iPad or a, a, a Android phone. Whatever device I'm on sends that with the request. It generates the correct data that I should be seeing. So that's why we see different websites when we're on phones or iPads or different devices. It actually our request includes the data about what device we're on so it knows what to send back. And that's why your site is, uh, you know, adaptable to both mobile and websites uh, in the way we think of them. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think so. But let me just see if, if we're agreeing on some key points. So the websites have to be hosted somewhere, and, and those, that somewhere is a physical place. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is basically with, with enough redundancy, if there's enough different web servers that are hosting any given website, you know, at a certain point, the information isn't coming from a server, it's just coming from lots of servers. Yeah, you know, it's, it's basically... That's basically what I'm what saying. It's not, it's not one physical place the way you'd imagine. It's not one physical computer. It's presented as a virtual computer. The actual underlying infrastructure, by its nature, is redundant. So it could be coming from multiple hard drives, multiple RAM, multiple processors. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. So, like, I guess it's almost like a question of um, at what point does redundancy become, uh, I don't want to say the cloud because that's like a cliche term, but if, if I'm accessing fakeologist.com and that's coming from two computers, okay, that's coming from two physical places. If it's coming from three or four or five computers, like a, or a thousand computers, or like at what point... At what point are we no longer really dealing with uh, a simple physical uh, transaction of ones and zeros, if that makes sense? Like, if, if that's kind of where you're going with this, then, yeah, this, for me, this is very interesting. I hadn't really thought about it from that angle. But, yeah, like, it's um, it, the internet might have started off as this computer at Massachusetts uh, Institute of Technology transmitting information to this, um, this other place, right? Something as simple as that. This computer to that computer. But at a certain point, it's become something uh, something different. You know what I mean? No, I like agree. I think, I, think you, I... I think you use the word metaphysical, and it's <clears> like, <throat> yeah, it almost is metaphysical if uh, if there's a million computers that are all serving one website. Yeah. Like, and that's where I think we've got a bit sidetracked with this is when when Ab interjected and pointed out that it's still physical. I mean, I wasn't claiming that it wasn't physical, but I'm pointing out that at some point the redundancy leads us to believe in some sort of superintelligence. I mean, all this stuff is an underlying framework, and that's what I'm getting at. Your website may logically be served from some central place, but at the MAC address level, the physical level of hard drives, it's coming from lots of different places, and that's where I was getting at with the Bluehost and GoDaddy and several different web servers. While they provide you a logical service, the underlying foundation of the technology is the fact that it's actually inherently redundant. And, and, and I used the example before. I don't know if the streamer was here for that or not. But I could see this stuff coming a long time ago in radio. I could see that we were using computers to serve up the audio and play the audio. And we were using audio networks to transport the audio to the destination. So it was only a matter of time before we started actually combining those two and it would become this redundant mesh network that would actually start. And, and, and I mean, this is why it leads to the metaphysical because it's somewhat like a neural network. 
in the fact that there is this inbuilt redundancy and intelligence that allows things to continue even when there is a physical failure. And I, I predicted this stuff, you know, four years ago and no one listened to me. And now I read articles about how the BBC and several other broadcast networks are already implementing this kind of technology where any given radio station doesn't have any actual physical equipment there that actually does the thinking. It's all in a central network and a central hub, a distributed network that allows it to think organically and distribute the load of the thinking. And any one local instance is just a control mechanism, not actually a thinking mechanism. Yeah. Mate, do me a favour, when you when on that little rant, when you go back and listen to it, uh, Terminator music underneath you speaking. Because you were just describing Skynet going live, mate. It was amazing. Well, uh, yeah, like I, I didn't intend to set out describing Skynet, but when I look at movies like that, given my background in technology, to me it makes perfect sense. Like I can see all these different technologies merging in that sense. For too long, we've been pl- like I can't. So let me think of it from a radio perspective, if you will, Napoleon. I've seen computers that play the audio. Their job is to play audio. They cue sound files and they play them. Then you've got underlying networks. The underlying networks receive the audio and distribute it to certain places. And like I use with the Discord example, it's all just a logical framework. It's not a physical framework. So there's two layers here, the MAC address and the IP address. One's logical, one's physical. And I could see these two enterprises merging the fact that you don't need one specific place to play something you just need it to be played on the infrastructure that expects it to be played does does that sound too metaphysical you know what's going on the emergence of these technologies uh, they would eventually come together and that would lead it to be completely redundant, something that you could you could go and yeah, shoot up one building and terminate out of them, but it's not going to bring down Skynet, you know? Sorry, who are we hearing there? Uh, sounded like... Uh, no, make... Go, Napoleon. No, right, so I was say, is... Sorry, I'll shut up for a sec. The end process is still, you know, you're after the same thing. I didn't so, hear all uh, your comment, more. but I believe it will all come together at the same thing. That's... That's what I'm saying. It seems like all these technologies, like I say, I can only use a radio example, but it seemed to me that all the technologies were merging into some central consciousness in the way they function. And when John brought up the idea that websites might not be one physical place, I agree. They're most likely completely corporate retail contracts to serve up the space and the requirements according to the the actual contract of retail but under the surface, they're all the same storage in that, right? So I don't believe that necessarily Bluehost or GoDaddy have physical servers anywhere. They're all renting space off a sort of global network. And the same way in radio we deal with this concept of CDN. It's called Content Distribution Network. And the idea is that so any given web stream, if a radio station streams out a web stream, they don't stream it out to every single listener. If you had 200 listeners, they're not streaming it to 200 people. They only stream it out as far as it needs to go. So if I was to run a web stream to Napoleon, and, okay, say, for example, Rachel lived next door to Napoleon, and she was also streaming the same thing he was, 
my stream only sends out once and the packets of my data only reach as far as they need to go as one single entity. So they reach Napoleon and Rachel's local exchange and then at that point they split to go to each individual person. But we reach a great economy over the internet by actually using multicast and these kind of technologies to actually reduce the amount of uh, throughput on the network. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Totally. So we, we, only, we only stream out things as far as they need to go. So, Napoleon, when you talk on Discord right now, you only send out one lot of packets. You only send out one copy of your voice. But once it reaches Discord, it realizes, okay, John LeBon and Veloset are both in Australia. So it will send one copy to Australia. Once it gets to Australia, it will split it to both JLB and Veloset. Get what I mean? So it's, it's all mm-hmm. an economy of, of the way the thing works. Yeah, we see that um, in reverse when, when a lot of people are downloading stuff on via uh, a games console and stuff. You know, the more the merrier buttons with people. Yeah. So this common space that we, we think we're actually getting this dedicated streaming, it's all common shared infrastructure. All our local exchanges, all the local IT centres that we think we're streaming stuff from, they're all part of this global network that is really, it's not, it's not that on the surface, but the underlying mechanism is the fact that it's all shared storage and all shared processing. So it's an underlying thing. And that was Velocet's tech talk there. You're listening to Fakeologist Radio. We know one of the questions that some people ask is, well, where does this technology even come from, right? Like we are, let's, let's go through the list here. You've got Ab in the sunny shores of Lake Ontario. He's in Toronto, Canada. Napoleon Wilson is somewhere in uh, Great Britain, the United Kingdom, part, somewhere in England. Part, parts, parts unknown. Parts unknown, but somewhere in England, I'm, I'm presuming. You've got Original Simulant, that's Florida in the US. Rollo, you've got, uh, what's that, Newcastle, so that's just north of Sydney, Australia. Silverbeam is <laughs> Victoria. Velocet, Sydney, I'm in Brisbane. So we're all um, sitting or standing in, in rooms completely separate from each other, talking in real time, zero latency. <laughs> Pretty good fidelity, really, um, practically for free. Where the, where the hell does this come from? You know, the story is that there was this um, great uh, Colombian exposition in uh, Chicago in the late 1800s, like 1896 or something. So like 100 and, let's say 120 years ago, it was, it was a big enough deal that you could have lighting, a whole bunch of lighting in one place, that they would uh, get a whole bunch of people together for a big fair. Like, oh, did you hear there's this big fair in Chicago? Oh, what's going on? Electricity. Thomas Edison's going to be there. That's the story 120 years ago. And here we are having this conversation right now. This technology, where does it come from? Like, obviously none of us knows, but do many of us spend much time thinking about this? It seems pretty phenomenal, the amount of power that we've got at our fingertips right now, doesn't it? And once you outgrow, once you overcome this Paige Hill's paranoia, delusion, nonsense, and you start to realise the power that we've all got, this magic, this magical ability that we all have to transmit our thoughts to anyone, and no one's going to stop us. If they were going to stop us, they would have stopped us by now. They haven't, because they're not trying to stop us. They're the ones giving this technology to us. You have to wonder, where does this technology come from, and uh, and what's the end goal? So Bella said, if you were six years ahead of the curve talking about neural networks and uh, computer server redundancy and these kinds of things, 
Well, surely you've had some time to think about where this internet came from, this technology came from, and where it's headed. So can you speak to that at all? Can you uh, illuminate us a little bit? I'd be happy to try my best. And here's the thing. So if I can reiterate what we're all talking about, because you just brought up the idea that we've got fakeologists from Canada and we've got Napoleon from Great Britain. We've got all these people joining us right now in the live stream that are from very different places. The one thing you need to understand is it's not a linear piece of information the way you understand it. We are all part of a subscription to the same group of information. In IT terms, my voice is being transmitted in packets, and all your voices are being transmitted in packets. Now, it's who has... You just mean ones and zeros. I hate to interrupt, but you just mean packets of ones and zeros, right? Yeah, but when you're not talking, no ones and zeros are being transmitted. The system knows at your end, in your Discord software, John, specifically, when you don't talk, it doesn't send anything. That's why you set the noise threshold in your software. You're saying to the software, I'm not talking below this level, do not send anything. I've set it in my software that when I talk above a certain level in volume, send my packets. So we're all just a mesh network of communicating packets. The idea that we're all contributing to a stream and the stream goes out is completely false. It is a mesh network. Things are being sent every which way across the internet. And this is, this is why the, the, the foundational understanding is so important. Because when I choose to send packets, it shows that I'm talking, I'm sending packets, I'm alive, I'm doing something. It reassembles itself on each receiver's destination. Because I'm talking right now, and my software has said, Joel is talking, he's talking right now, it lights me as active. In the, in the chat, we can see it. I go green, so I'm active. It then tells every other receiver of that information. Like I said, Napoleon and Rachel, for example, if they live really close to each other, will receive duplicate packets of my information. And it will say, he's talking right now, make him active, add him to the headphone feed that they hear. Right? So it's a mesh network of everything going on. Am I, am I making sense so far or am I talking, you know, completely, you know, gobbledygook? Mm, I think I understand what you're trying to say. Let me see if I can rephrase it. Our computers sometimes send ones and zeros in packets, so in groups of ones or zeros. Mm-hmm. Sometimes our computers do not send this. When our computers are sending this out, for instance, when we're talking like this, my computer is sending out my voice in ones and zeros. It's sending it somewhere. And that where it's sending it to, it's somehow also making its way to fakeologists, Napoleon Wilson, original simulant, Rollo, Silverbeam, MTU, right? So what I send is being spread to seven other places at a bare minimum. But what you're saying is that it's not so much that my computer's sending it to those seven, it's just sending out to one place and those seven have access to it, is what you're saying. Have I followed you so far? Uh, If anything, you made it more... In the future, it may be possible for me to send seven copies to the seven people listening. At the moment, our bandwidth does not allow that, it would appear. The fact that most of us are sitting on simple ADSL connections means we haven't got the bandwidth to hear all seven copies, or to send all seven copies, I should say. So at the moment, Discord are routing our traffic. Discord hears me talking, and they route seven copies of me to the seven people listening. In the future sometime, 
Discord may not need to be a part of that. They could just control the permission and I would send directly to the seven people listening. At the moment, we don't, ha- I believe we don't have the server power to do that. I don't have the upload bandwidth to do that. So it's happy for in the, in the interim for me to take one copy outbound. Discord splits that into seven copies and sends it to the people that need it. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, if we get back to the question of what do you think technology is, do you have, a like, a condensed answer that you can give to that, like where you think it came from, where you think it's going? I don't know where it came from. I know whoever it came from built it to a specific standard that is globally accepted and used by all nations, all all specific things we could hope to surpass for people like you and me who can think about it, we would come to the conclusion that all nation states are all working in cahoots. There's no, uh, you know, division of uh, national boundary here. That's all, that's all a hoax. The fact is, it's interesting that all technology has been built to the same standard that allows us all to share thoughts and communicate with each other. All right, so because it's late, like I don't mean to sort of um, stymie the conversation. I have to get going soon, though, so let me sort of fast forward a little bit, fella said. You're saying that, <clears throat> pardon me, you're saying that the countries are all controlled by the same people. That To me, that's obvious. Today, I discovered, thanks to fakeologist.com, thanks to a comment left by somebody with the name Teardrop in their username. I don't remember their full name, but they'll know who they are. They left a comment pointing out that you know, World War One. Okay, we all know the story of World War One. That supposedly some dude was shot by some guy, and that started the war. Which, that alone, we, now that we have hopefully developed eyes to see, that alone should cause us to think. Hold on, I need to go and look further into this. Right? Supposedly, uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot by Gavrilo Principe. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that name, but that's uh, that's how it's spelled anyhow. So some dude shoots some guy and it starts World War One. I. I only found out today, thanks to a post on fakeologist.com, a comment left by some person on fakeologist.com, that the, the car that he was in, that Franz Ferdinand was supposedly in when he was shot, and remember this led to World War One, which supposedly basically led to World War Two, right? That's the story. Oh, Germany was... Too much money was taken from Germany. They were very poor. That set the scene for Hitler to come in World War II. So basically all of what we think we know about world geopolitics can be traced back to this gunshot. <laughs> and the car that this guy was in has the number plate A and then what appear to be four ones and then another digit which together appear to make up the date of the armistice when the First World War finished. And I think that was the 14th. I'll double check that. I don't want to get that wrong here at... 20 to 2 in the morning, but the point is the date of the armistice of World War I appears to be written on the number plate of the car where the guy was shot that started World War I. Fellow said, were you aware of this? I wasn't aware, and to be honest, it doesn't surprise me. Part of my mind is blown that there could be another conspiracy that big, but also I think, yeah, these people have been up to much worse. So... Me, November that, 18, I, I do apologise to the listeners and to you, Velocet. November 18, so you've got the number plate, it's A. <laughs> this is serious, guys. When I read this comment, I was like, no, even me of all people, even I find this one, This now, now this has gone from taking the piss to, like, smacking you in the face with the piss, right? 
So I was like, no, I'm going to double check this. No, this is the story, guys. This isn't my story. This is the story. You can go and check it. They'll tell you. They even have the car on display with the plate. And the plate is AIII-118. Now, the armistice of World War One. that is the, uh, the official ending of the hostilities... <laughs> The, the, the time when men sit... This is this is the story. The time when a bunch of men sit down and go, you know what? I don't want my people shooting your people. Oh, cool. I don't want my people shooting your people. Let's be friends, right? This is what Armistice is, supposedly. So that happened on November 18, 1911. Uh, sorry, November 11, 1918. Forgive me. So the number plate on the car is AIII-118, which is the date. Like A for Armistice... One 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 eight. On on the number plate of the car that the dude was sitting in, or that he was travelling in, when he was assassinated, that led to the war in the first place. Am I am I conveying this no, 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 no. appropriately? Yeah, the 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 level of hoax there is something that people have come to expect. I mean, we expect to know that you know they put this stuff in plain sight, and um, if D Murphy twenty five is anything to speak. To, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be so disappointed about hitting, being hit in the face by piss, you know? Like, maybe that's a good thing for me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> set aside the jokes. I mean, I've come to believe that that's the way it is. If I can speak to specifically the technical aspects of it, because that's what I was here to do in the first place, I mean... Oh, hold on, oh, yeah, sorry, I, mean, I sort of left you hanging there. I didn't explain where I was going with this. So, I'm sitting here. In fact, I was sitting at the cafe today, and... Uh, I was reading Fakeologist. I usually check once a day, usually most days, at least once. And someone's left a comment. And so there I am sitting at a cafe in front of this thing that I call a computer. And I'm reading these words that are telling me, you know, the, the world war that started all of what people think they know? Because everyone believes in war, okay? I say that war is a hoax, period. Dave J says war is a hoax. So-called awake people, oh, you can't say that. You can't say war's a hoax. Yes, I can. War's a hoax, 100%. You can't say that. Well, I'm sitting down. At the cafe, probably drinking my coffee, and I'm reading words on the screen that tell me that first world war that started all of what people believe is real, this thing that we call war, the day that happened, the number of plates are the same date that that war ended. I'm reading this. I don't know who wrote this comment. Probably never met them in my life. And yet, it's giving me another insight into how the world really works. And I'm getting this insight via technology that seems to be helping me to get an idea of how the world really works. And yet, fellow set, and this is where I'll hopefully give you uh, like an open question that, that can make sense, I'm, I'm supposed to believe these people are evil and they want me to be in the dark. Now, how does that make sense? They've clearly played a joke. They're, they're putting the joke in plain sight. And they've given me the technology to see the joke and to talk about the joke with you right now. And yet somehow they want to keep me in the dark. Joke, I don't think I how, do, how does this make sense? Joke. How does this make sense that they're the bad people? Joke, John. I don't think any of us think it's a joke, John. So you're talking yourself there. You know, maybe you've just got a bit of a twisted sense of humour. Uh, Napoleon, this is a joke and war is a hoax, period. That's the fact of the matter. Can you not see that? I don't think it's a joke, man. No, I don't think it's a joke. Think you understand the war is a hoax, don't you? War isn't a hoax, is it? Is it? Okay, how do you explain this number plate, Napoleon? How do you explain this number plate? There's numbers on a car which is probably used in the HRDPAR 100 years ago. Okay, but the war's meant to be real, right? I don't know, mate. Don't well, know I'm telling you the war's a hoax, so if you want to argue with me, that's fine, but I'm just trying to work out is, well, is, it, is, it a, is it a coincidence? Could that, could that be a coincidence? You tell me. Is that what you believe? 
I, I believe anything that we've seen on film, literally, is part of the entire 150 years of fakery. I've said this in the past. I don't pay any attention to the film now. There's no point. Okay, well, there's a car. In the uh, Titanic. JFK is a Bruder film. 9-11. Planes it in the towers. Come on, mate. Play the game. Look. All right, so there's a car sitting in a so-called museum that has number plates that say the date of the armistice of the war that ended that was supposedly started when a guy in that car got assassinated. Now, to you, is that just a coincidence? To me, that's a joke. To me, that's a joke. It's a blatant joke. That only a leaning well, would not see. Maybe it was somebody trying to back up Albert Pike's claims. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, one of the brothers, you know, went in and changed it overnight. I don't know. I don't think it's a joke, though. I don't think it means as much as, say. Well, if it's not a joke, then what is it? Just a coincidence? It just happens randomly? No, I think it's probably the same as uh, finding a passport outside the Twin Towers. No. I mean, that, you know, these things are comical, so I can understand where you're coming from, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Get someone else's opinion, Tom. Oh, I've got a coincidence for you. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Saddam Hussein, he thought he rebuilt Babylon, thought he was uh, Nebuchadnezzar, supposedly. Uh, the Twin Towers fell on the Coptic New Year, and the Coptics were, uh, Solomon was a Coptic. So Nebuchadnezzar burnt down Solomon's temple on the, the New Year. Is that a coincidence? Probably. Probably some great mythical thing. So, if they are trying to emulate things of the past, then they're going to do it with small or larger clues as they can. But um, that could have been done retrospectively, you see. And like I say, I don't really trust anything on film. Alright, well getting back to the point I was making before you interjected to disagree and then agree, which happens to me all the time, it's amazing. Getting back to the point I was making... I wasn't, I wasn't, so I wasn't agreeing, joke. I was just, just saying it doesn't seem like a joke. No, but then you, like just a minute later, agreed that it does seem comical. So, once again, people want to disagree with me, but then we think through it, and no, it turns out they agree with me. So we've got this joke, this clear joke right in front of our faces that we're only seeing thanks to the technology that we're given by the people who seem to be playing the jokes in the first place. So going back to you there, Vela said, what do you think about this idea that they're not trying to keep us in the dark at all? Some people would prefer to stay there. That's the kind of people that they are. But uh, actually, it's not the people who run the show who are responsible for the darkness. What do you think about this idea? I'm open to the idea. I mean, as I said, from, from everything technical that I've experienced, it, it appears that it's all con- all the different technologies and all the different protocols and all the different things that are happening seem to converge in one central place. And, and I speak like to the fact that all these different things I've experienced in the playout of things in radio and the transport of things in radio, it all seems to come back to one place. The fact that they are organically meant to work together. When I say organically, I don't mean in a human sense but maybe in some other sense they do naturally harmonise, you know. Maybe I'm speaking a bit too metaphysical. Does that make sense? Well, I guess the point that I'm just getting at is this, I don't believe this idea that the people who run the show are evil anymore. I used to buy into that, but now to me that's ridiculous. I only have access to all of this information thanks to a technology that comes from them. So it seems, no, no it seems to me the to be completely juvenile and... Well, the what about the Anzacs that were shot? What about the Anzacs that were shot? They weren't... That was they weren't. So, so, so they weren't shot. No, so if war is a hoax, they wasn't shot from 100%. running away. What would uh, they do? War is a hoax, firstly. Run. Let's just get that fact straight right from the start. War is a hoax, period. All right? Go on, Joe,
Anyway, let's change the subject. Has anyone listened to A.A. Uh, Morris's uh, last couple of uh, podcasts? Quite good. What's good about them? Tell me. I haven't listened to them. Give uh, me the highlight. Some some lovely insight into just some of the, some of the people that are making uh, strange claims on um, on radio shows where probably a majority of people don't agree with, agree with them claims. Cool. Yeah. Well, give us give us some more information. Like this is very vague. Give us a direct example. Um, well, Dave J. Dave J's been walking around saying war is a hoax. You've been walking. Well, he's correct about that. War is a hoax. Period. Can you define? Can you define where you're coming from, or is it going to be like this? Yeah, we have done this for several hours. We've talked about this, and the information's all there. So, so what are you telling me that uh, propaganda Morris is now doing a podcast complaining about Dave J and myself? Is that what you're saying? Because that's what you that's what you want to sit around. Maybe maybe I'm not the. Seems like you're asking me. Seems like you're asking asking me to. Look, John, where can just for a hoax because of a number plate? Seriously. No, I ain't found out the number plate today. I've been saying war is a hoax for much longer than that. Okay, then, well, that's one piece of evidence you can't use. Get rid of it. Go on, why is war a hoax? So this has been explained to you many times, Napoleon. No, it's not. So what you're now telling me is that you want to sit around and listen to a podcast by Propaganda Morris complaining about me and Dave J. That's what you just told me two minutes ago. I, I, I agree with most of the things that Morris says, so, you know, I listen to stuff that I agree with. I think, is that me being a sheep, or is that me actually just, you know, agreeing with something? I have agreed with you in the past. So, all I'm saying is, can you define what you mean by war as a hoax? Yeah, I've done it several times, and clearly you're not listening. Well, no, your definition never worked. I don't understand it. All I get is... No, you don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. You can go on believing your stupid fairy tales about war if you want. That's up to you. Well, I, I, I understand that periods of time, there's large uh, amounts of munitions and people shifted around the world. I, I understand, right? And I also know that accidents come out, and I also know that people are trigger happy. So I'm trying to get a bigger picture, but instead of biting, biting anyone's head off, I'm trying to get to the bottom. But you're so sure, maybe you can get me to this line faster. No, I can't help him at all. I definitely cannot help you on this, unfortunately, Napoleon. So, if you want to overcome your belief in war, that's up to you. No one can do that for you. No one. And in your mind is thousands and thousands of images of war and death from television, textbooks, newspapers. That's programming in your brain that you have to overcome, that no one can do for you. The NLP. Quit the NLP, mate. Stop NLP. Stop it. Sorry, Rach, I'm just interrupting it. Oh, you can, I wasn't sure if you could hear me. You can hear me. Yeah, I can, I can hear you if you're oh. asking me. Hello, John. It's the first time I've spoken to you. Well, it's, uh, it's nice to speak with you. Is this Rachel, is it? It's Rachel, yes, yes. Um, I, I was just listening on the live stream, and, I, you know, I agree with you about the uh, the car. I definitely agree with you about the car, because... Um, the pictures, if you have a look at the pictures, there's no, there's no, re- there's, I think there's one picture beforehand of uh, Ferdinand. If you look at the pictures that were taken of him while he was alive, um, they're all, um, they're all portraits. And it's only when you get near to, um, you know, when he goes to Sarajevo that you start getting different pictures. I mean, there's pictures of him uh, shooting things beforehand. But then you get um, him and his wife marching, looking at the, the, the troops. You get a picture of him on the train. And then on the day that he's about to get shot, there's there's at least four different pictures of him getting in and out of that car. Now, what did you say the number plate was? 
you can't a yeah a triple i double one eight so in other words a eleven eleven eighteen and of course armistice was eleven november nineteen eighteen so it was it's armistice armistice a eleven eleven eighteen it's right there yeah this is this is straight up rachel even me of all people when i read that today at fakeologist.com even i thought no that sounds that sounds a bit far-fetched. That could not be yeah. the case. I'll and so what did I do? I then went and looked, and it was like, no, that you can read an article from the Smithsonian talking about this. Oh, it's this peculiar coincidence. And I'm like, what the hell? Firstly, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I didn't already know this. This is a fantastic sink, if you want to call it that. But secondly, this fits in perfectly, doesn't it? I've been saying that war is a hoax. I'm not the first person to say it. I don't know if Dave J was the first, but he was here saying it way before me. And here we have a piece of evidence that to me is pretty compelling. If a person can look at that, if they can look at that number plate on that car and not see what's happening, then they can't see. And there is not a word that I can ever say to them to help them to see. Nothing. Not even if it was my uh, express purpose in life, could I help that blind person to see. And I think this may be one of the reasons why. We see men playing golf on the moon, while we see CGI planes exploding through the other side of the Twin Towers. This is blatant, in-your-face absurdity. And it seems to be almost, and this is just my interpretation, it almost seems to be like a signpost for people like me, and hopefully some of the people listening to this podcast right now, to notice this, and then when they try and explore it with the other so-called humans, to realize these humans ain't humans. They're non-player characters. Those who can't see and won't see, don't waste your time with these people. They're not at your level. That's what it seems like to me at this point. That's how I'm interpreting the situation. I'm just putting up because, you know, I've done, I've done quite a bit of study on the, the First World War and the start of that, and I agree that that was a fake event because of the amount of pictures that appeared that particular day before they died. I'm just putting some of them up in the live stream show notes. Rachel, can I ask you a question? Do you remember when, do you remember in school when you were first taught about World War One or about uh, Franz Ferdinand, all these kinds of things? Like, do you actually remember being taught about this stuff? Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, I mean, uh, everybody would say that this is, well, I mean, I think, this, I think the pictures do uh, uh, speak for themselves that this wasn't a planned event because the pictures, all of a sudden, I mean, if you think about the cumbersome nature of cameras at that point, and that the, I think um, if you were taking a picture, you've got, you've got to stay still, haven't you, when you're taking pictures at that time, because there's a, it's not instant, it's like a five second. I mean, these are all posed. They've got to be all posed. Well, here's why I ask you this question. Well, two, there's two reasons. One, because I've come to learn that most so-called humans have no real memories beyond the immediate. So they might remember what they did last weekend, but in terms of their childhood, apart from a few events, they basically have no memory. They've got no memory recall, potentially no memory to recall. And and I don't have time to go too much further into that. But then the other reason I ask you is because I remember learning the Franz Ferdinand story. That's why today when I saw this thing on Fakeologist, like straight away, I wanted to go and look into this further because I remember this was one of the first ever assignments that I did on a computer. So it was either year nine or year ten because I remember where we were living at the time, and it was an assignment on uh, World War One, on history. And I remember typing it up and 
this was like the very early days of, of the internet, at least for us, it was dial-up back then. And so I, I remember learning about this stuff and feeling so smart, like I was memorising this information about war and like I remember how I felt like I was really learning important information to learn this stuff. And that's what the education system does, is it convinces us that if we memorise the stories, that makes us knowledgeable or insightful. And now I look at this story and I think, this is clearly a joke of a story from start to finish. Oh yeah, have you actually, have you actually re-examined the story? It's just, it's just uh, ludicrous, the fact that they got attacked part way. From the whole thing is ludicrous, Rachel. Can, can I ask you, have you looked at V2 rockets? So that's World War II now. Let's skip forward uh, a couple of decades. Have you gone back and looked well, at no, V2 rockets? No, 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 because we're talking about World War One. Because I, I totally agree with you with, with this particular, whatever started off, what is World War One is. But I don't know about nobody got died because I have been to Ypres and there are lots of... There are lots of grave... Um, People die all the time, Rachel. People die all the time. Any any job that involves manual labour, and especially jobs that involve many men, people are going to die, whether it's from uh, natural attrition or from accidents. People die. That's not what's at dispute here. What's at dispute is this idea that you have two or more sides of men, or women, I suppose, genuinely trying to shoot each other to kill each yeah, other I, in a battle to the death. That's what's at dispute, and it's at dispute because that war is a hoax. Now, if someone has tried to tell you that myself or Dave J or others are claiming that no one ever dies in so-called war, that's not the case. That's a misrepresentation. What I'm saying, or what I believe Dave J is saying, is that this idea that you have two or more sides trying to kill each other through combat, that, in fact, is a hoax. That doesn't happen. That never happened. That won't happen. That's not real. That's the hoax. Do you understand the difference yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely understand the difference. I just worry you skip from one extreme to the other extreme um, and miss the, the central point. And what, what, what we're, we know that the, the beginning, I think we, we've got enough evidence to say that the beginning of the First World War was planned and it was for a reason. And whether, the, the question is, was it just a TV event? or, you know, a newspaper event just to create news to sell things. Um, I'm, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's, that's the only thing that I don't, um, I pause at, is um, just skipping straight to uh, saying we can move on to the, uh, the, the Second World War now and talk about V2, Rob. Well, the only reason I wanted to ask you about V2s was because I wanted to share with you how I came to this position. So oh, I didn't wake up one day. I didn't wake up one day and decide, oh, all of those millions of people who I've mourned for, okay, with a little red poppy at school for 12 or 13 years straight, I'm just going to believe they didn't exist anymore. Just one morning, suddenly. That's not what happened. This has been a process over several years. And one of the first things that got me looking at this was V2 rockets. And about three years ago, I decided to look at V2 rockets and something about them didn't make sense. I read the, the Wikipedia page on them as like an introduction to it, and I thought, this, this seems a little bit suspicious to me. So I went to the Queensland State Library, and I borrowed several books that were either about V2 specifically or about World War II generally to try and find the V2 information. You know what I found? This Time Picture Magazine, which was like the first heavily illustrated book that I could find of World War II. Firstly, it wasn't from 1939 or 40. No, it was from 1950, maybe 1955. 
I want to say 1955. Let's say it was from 1950. Let's be very generous. That's five years after the war, which I found very peculiar. In fact, several of the books were from many years after the war. It was very difficult to find something that was contemporaneous, but no problem. So I'm looking through this picture book from World War II. I can only find one major photo of the B-2 rockets. And wouldn't you know it, it's the exact same photo that I saw on the Wikipedia page. This struck me as a red flag. So I kept looking into it further, and I tried to understand, what's the mechanics of these V2 rockets? How did they actually work? Okay, and I discovered, oh, it's a gimbal system. It's a rudimentary mechanical gimbal system. It's uh, basically like filling a, a rod with, uh, with explosives and firing into the sky. And I'm thinking, this went over the English Channel and was targeted at the British? Like, this, this was actually meant to be a real weapon? Yeah. And so it got me looking further into it, and I'm now convinced that V2 rockets are a complete hoax, which makes sense when you understand that supposedly, according to the official story, the guy who was behind these is a guy called Werner von Braun. And this name comes up in the moon landing hoax, because Werner von Braun was supposedly this great scientist who helped to get the Americans to the moon via Operation Paperclip. Well, here I am now in 2018. I understand full well Werner von Braun, Operation Paperclip. This is all hoaxes as well. This is all nonsense. This is all a gigantic joke. And so the reason I'm telling you all of this is to explain if someone is trying to convince you that I just decided one day to say that war is a hoax, then they are misrepresenting me and they are fooling you. That's not the case. My work has been documented for several years now. Yeah. All these, I, people, all these people coming out of the woodwork to attack me for saying that war is a hoax. Who are these people? Who are these jokers? Where's their work? What work have they done? None. If you like this audio and want to support the site in a small or big way, please hit the PayPal donate button on the side of the fakeologist.com webpage. You can show your support for as little as $1.19 a month by subscription or one-time donation. Thank you for your support.